This call is being recorded. Okay, uh, so we are here. Uh, it is Sunday at uh, a little bit after three o'clock on September fourth, and this is the second hangout for the MOOC. And we have a number of things planned for today, which we're pretty excited about. Um, first of which, uh, we're joined by Jorgen Vandersloot, who is one of the fellow instructors within the MOOC. Hello. Thanks for joining us today. And then we have a special guest that we'll go to at 3.30 who's going to join us that I'm excited about as well. So I think maybe where we can start is we'll start with like just a little bit of an overview of where we are within the MOOC. And, uh, and then I'll kind of pass it over to Jorgen so Jorgen can give us an overview in terms of the edit process, which we've been using as a foundation within the MOOC itself. So we are just about to go into week three. Uh, so you guys have been working in terms of week two, where we've been building upon pairing you up again uh, to do an appreciative inquiry. The appreciative inquiry, unlike the five times why, which was self-reflective, uh, is more of where your partner is helping to pull insights through uh, follow-up questions. So instead of there being one question five times, the appreciative inquiry has multiple questions and you're free to kind of uh, ask and guide it to what, you know, you want as you're, as you're interviewing each other. Uh, at, when we pull out of that, uh, you're going to come out with a number of different uh, kind of characteristics. You're looking for things that are similar uh, across those experiences, those enchanted transformative experiences. And you're looking to kind of compare both the stories uh, or the interviews and see what was similar between them. And uh, those similar characteristics are important because we're going to be, we're going to be using those uh, to cluster them into to some design principles. Uh, we're going to cluster them under the four core design principles that we have for the project, which are the trace, uh, granting agency, thematic frame, and social movement slash serendipity management. So we're going to be taking those things and, and using them as a way to uh, build out some design uh, principles. Uh, but mainly the appreciative inquiry gives us some characteristics that we then classify and cluster under those four main uh, design principles. In addition to that, in uh, week two, you're working to shape some design questions. Uh, those designs, those design questions start with how could we uh, as the starting point for that question. And they're intended to be based upon things that you are interested in exploring, or they could make use of the, uh, the adaptation and the idea that you started with at the beginning of the MOOC when you selected an object from one of Arthur Conan Doyle's stories, or they could be for something totally different. Um, but the idea with those design questions is uh, that you're trying to, as Jorgen said in his video, um, you know, you're not necessarily uh, trying to boil the ocean and you're not necessarily boiling an egg. You know, you're trying to fall somewhere in between there. So that's, those were the two challenges that came out of week two. For anybody that's listening and, and you're new to the MOOC, we're experimenting and we're, we're making it so people can come in throughout the MOOC. So that's a big experiment. You know, they can drop in and out and we'll probably have people as we go into the ideation phase and the testing phase, more people will come in. Um, so the deadlines are flexible, although 
Uh, if you can hit some of them, that's great. If you can't, that's fine too, and we'll do it on a rolling basis. Um, but that's basically where we sit now. We're just about to go into week three, so we'll tease up week three towards the end of this uh, the end of this recording. But uh, Jorgen, I'm I'm going to turn it over to you, so maybe you can talk a little bit more specifically about edit, primarily from the uh, the uh, defined phase and as we head into the ideation phase um yeah sure um so um uh, we've been using the the edit process um uh, for for a lot of years actually already in everything that we do um and, and it is just kind of like an acronym of course to easily identify four steps in a in a, in a design process um and we believe it's very important to first get you know, in, in the empathy phase, um, first get really aligned with the people uh, participating, um, the people that are kind of like joining in the MOOC. Uh, but, you know, if you imagine doing that in, in kind of like a face-to-face setting, um, it's always very good to get to know each other uh, and to get your uh, intentions straight. Uh, I know that in some design thinking schools, empathy is also used to kind of like uh, build empathy with kind of like your target audience. Um, but that is not kind of like the intent of um, how we use that that first step. Um, the empathy phase for us is literally, you know, taking a deep dive and, and exploring kind of like what, um, well, basically what's what's in your domain, what's in kind of like the um, the domain that you either want to kind of like dive into, that you want to find solutions for, that you want to build kind of like products and services around, um, and that's I think a very crucial step. Um, and if, and then and what I also like about that phase is that it's very kind of um, like divergent, right? It's kind of like an anything goes. So there's no judgment. Um, you share and you build upon each other's uh, thinking um, to literally um, be be very well informed or almost um, that you feed yourself with all these ideas and information out there. Um, then the define phase um, is meant to get well to to narrow kind of like the 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 space a little bit um and to really try to identify what the core in this case core um a design question is that you want to find an answer to or that you want to develop a solution for and it i think you know formulating questions is is always very crucial in any collaborative um um uh, endeavor um because good questions immediately trigger answers and they immediately generate kind of like a creativity they generate an, a flow of ideas coming um so we spend quite quite a lot of time in in identifying um and formulating questions it's it, you know when we prepare these sessions when we prepare a mooc it's you know very often comes down to kind of almost like the worth smithing you know there's a there's very crucial differences between um, a variation of words or synonyms that you use, and you get different types of answers. Um, so in a defined phase um, for this MOOC as well, I would suggest that you, you do spend time on it. And it might seem, um, I don't know, at sometimes it might seem, oh, I will just throw a question out there and stuff will happen and, and we'll see where it goes. Um, but I think it pays off in the end if you, um, spend some time to get in detail uh, about uh, you know the question that you want to um, to dive into. 
Um, what I always do actually when I formulate a, a design question or when I formulate any question is that I um, test it out um, either with my friends or family and just throw out that question to see what type of responses it triggers. And if those responses are in the right direction that you want to drive it to, then um, then the question's right. And if it's not, then you can still kind of like uh, iterate it and, and shape it up a little bit. Um, so that's what um, the define phase is, is very crucial for and what is um, something that we're you know focusing on in, in this week as well. Um, but it's not just kind of like that question. Um, I think that a crucial element in what we're doing this week as well is the appreciative inquiry where we want to identify the characteristics that we feel are important um, to have in place when you start building um, uh, solutions. So, you know, what is it that um, that you need to have in place um, for the solution to be the right solution or to be the best solution that you can come up with? Um, so that is... So that is a crucial step as well, especially if you have a design question and if you have these principles in place, that almost sets kind of like the the boundaries for the solution space that you can dive into. Um, and uh, diving into that solution space, so to speak, is what, what we'll be doing next week when we, when we enter the ideation phase. Um, and the goal of the ideation phase is first to come up with, you know, as much ideas as possible. Um, I very often say that you need 100 ideas to get one great idea. Um, and um, it's very crucial in the starting phase of, of, of the, the, the third week, the ideation phase, to just let all those ideas come. And if you know that that is what we're setting you up for, then you can kind of like um, take that into account as well when formulating your design question. You know, it should be a question that immediately triggers ideas for people. It should be a question that well, that allows you or that enables a, a flow of ideas that can get up to a hundred, so that eventually you can get that one great idea. Um, well, and then eventually we're going to test that out, of course, which is the last step in the process. But I think it goes a little bit too far to dive into that in in, in much detail. Um, but you know, the defined phase and the goals for this week leading up to the ideation phase are are crucial steps to um well to 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 work on uh, collaboratively jorgen can you speak to okay say I, i've created the design question how could we right and and i have it and it's it's based on something that either i'm interested in exploring within the mooc it's based on building off of the the idea that I had initially when I pulled an object from a Sherlock Holmes story, it's something totally different. You know, maybe I want to do an educational program. Maybe I want to do some social impact uh, project. Maybe I want to do something in VR, AR. Maybe I want to do something with AI, um, IoT, an enchanted object, whatever it is. And now I'm looking in the Facebook Baker Street Irregulars group, and I'm looking at these different people who have put in their individual design questions. And I'm kind of going through there and I know that, okay, um, I need to find, you know, two to three other people that I can team with and I'm going to use their questions to do it. What am I looking for within those questions? You know, how, how would you recommend that folks can team up through questions? Um, I, I guess there can be various ways in, in doing that. Um, of course, it could be a question that's very similar to what you formulated yourself. Um, it could be a question that's in the same kind of like direction. 
So, you know, you both want to work on an, uh, on an AI thing or you both want to work on an IoT thing or anything like that. Um, but I always find it very interesting that, you know, um, that it almost should be kind of like, I think the first principle or the first thing that you need to take into account that um, whoever you want to team up with and whoever or whatever question you want to team up with, perhaps that's a better way of phrasing it, that should be a question that intrigues you or that kind of like sparks you, that gives you some type of energy as well. Because, um, uh, of course, you are going to collaboratively shape kind of like the design question that you are as a team going to work on. But the roots of those uh, uh, that, that, that common design question um, that's formulated between you guys, you know, the roots are from the individual people there. And if um, you find a question that doesn't really resonate with you, I would suggest kind of like to look at other questions. So it doesn't necessarily have to be a question that's right into your ballpark. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be a question um, that wants to address the same type of prototype that you want to make. I think that, in fact, in, you know, perhaps if you want to kind of like open yourself a little bit more to different ways of approaching this or alternatives to explore, then perhaps you want to find a question that's not that similar to what you've been formulating, but that kind of like gives you energy or that resonates with you. Uh, and then see, you know, if there's kind of like a common ground in between. And I, uh, I think that a lot of um, creativity and a lot of uh, good ideas come from the interactions between people. You know, it's literally between between us, right? It's in the conversation that we have um, uh, where stuff kind of like emerges. Um, I, I in, you know, in the experience that I've had in, in, in you know, uh, loads of these sessions, there's hardly ever kind of like one person that has kind of like the 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 idea or the the design question that kind of like sums it all up. I think that um, um, you know when you when you allow yourself to to go a little bit more towards the edges of your thinking or um, where kind of like it touches other people's interests, intent, or um, um, or in this case, question, you might surprise yourself and you might be able to truly come to an original idea. Um, well, when you're aligned, in this case as well, when you're aligned, when you're aligned in intent, when you're aligned in um, in energy and kind of like the spark that you feel. So that's the way that I should go about it. Um, uh, it might perhaps um, sounds a little bit vague, but trust your gut. You know, trust the what what you feel. If you see a question, and you immediately sparks a few ideas, and see if you can find some common ground between between the two of you or the three of you. And so uh, with that, what you'll be doing is looking at that within the, the Facebook group, finding, you know, in that thread, you'll see some questions and you'll see the ones that speak to you and whether it's something that you feel you could build upon, whether it's something that you feel is interesting and takes you in a totally different direction. It's just something that you're kind of responding to. Um, and then from there, those, those, those two to three other people, the team will form around these design questions. And then what you'll do is you'll work as a group to shape a new design question. It can be built from the previous ones, a combination thereof, or it could spin off into something new after you've had a chance to discuss uh, you know, what those design questions are and what drew you to each other's design questions. Um, and then from there, you're going to, as a team, 
create a single design question. That design question is what you're going to be invited into a really awesome prototyping platform. Uh, so your entry to the prototyping platform is your team's design question. And once you have that team's design question, then we're going to invite you into this special prototyping platform where you'll be able to generate 100 ideas. You'll be able to give non-judgmental feedback, and we'll be sharing that in week four. Um, but you'll be able to start to ideate uh, this coming week, and you'll be able to take that design question as a team and then look at some of the design principles that exist within the project, and then you're going to answer with an idea. And that idea and series of ideas, because you'll do 100 of them first, will then kind of lead you to uh, what you're going to start to work with in terms of prototyping and testing. So um, with that, keeping that in mind, Jorgen, is there anything that you would like to add? Any any thoughts or, or anything that you think is important to, to note? Um, well, I think uh, one thing is that um, uh, there's no such thing as the wrong question. Um, uh, sometimes people can get kind of like very, um, 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 you know, uptight about it where they want to formulate the, a beautiful or the most beautiful question. And I think it's better if you just try out a few um and you know any any question is is kind of like a, a starting point for for conversation so uh don't be too um specific about it because if you do um sometimes these questions become very complex and they become very long um so that hardly anyone can kind of like follow what you want to achieve so keep it keep it simple um and energetic um and i think um you know the 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 principles uh, that you find, or the characteristics that you find through the appreciative inquiry, can be somewhat of a guide. So, um, if you find something, you know that is so characteristic of an enchanted moment, then see if your design, if you can formulate a design question that addresses that, um, how you can kind of like recreate something like that that has that characteristic in it. Um, I think that that could be kind of like uh, of some inspiration input or inspiration for formulating it um because the, the trick the tricky thing here is always that you know uh, i can imagine that people feel kind of like or i could do anything right and so what type of questions could i formulate um i think you know just just take in information take in all that you've learned so far and then at a certain point uh, a certain moment you should also kind of like trust that whatever comes out uh, is the right question to ask at that time uh, so don't get too um, uh, stuck to kind of like um, in this in this case the nitty gritty details of it. But let it flow for a bit. And then uh, let's step back for one moment and just talk about the appreciative inquiry. Uh, this moment where two people are teaming up and and now they need to they need to go through and and do an appreciative inquiry. Can you can you talk about that? Um, can you give some insight around that process? And for anybody that's kind of wondering like okay we've we've interviewed each other we're now kind of we're looking at at, at trying to figure figure out these uh, similar characteristics how do we go about that can you give a little more detail to that yeah i think the the, the well the the basic premise of the appreciative inquiry is that you 
base kind of like the, the, the thing that you're investigating on a positive experience, right? You take something that was ultimate for you and you try to describe that experience in as much detail as you possibly can. And the more detail that you use, the richer kind of like the harvest of that experience becomes. And um, the appreciative inquiry is something, it's, it's literally an investigation almost that you, the two of you are performing. Right, you know what? What was it that made that moment unique or special or ultimate? And I sometimes also say, like, what are, what are the few things that, if you take those characteristics out or away from it, then the moment would not have been ultimate anymore, or then it would not have been that unique experience anymore. Um, and very often, there there are a few things that, that you know, when you think about it, you go like, well, yeah, well, that was the one thing that. You know, set it apart from all the other stuff that I've experienced, all the other moments that I've had. Um, and, um, you know, I, I think that um, uh, listing those characteristics out and perhaps, you know, at the start, it's quite a few. Um, um, and just write them all down and see if you can sometimes cluster them a little bit or perhaps sometimes you want to make them a little bit more abstract so that you can cluster a few underneath it. Um, and I think that you'll find that there are that there that there are similarities between the experiences that you share, and that you will, will be able to find even kind of like find the common traits between those experiences. Um, but that 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 comes later, right? First, focus on one experience, list it out, list the well, like we said, the characteristics that made them unique. Then go to the other experience, make a list of the elements that made them unique. Uh, and then see if you can kind of like cluster that a little bit so that you have a list of, you know, I don't know, five or something like that. Um, it should not be a list of 40 different characteristics uh, because that is something you can never recreate. Um, and there's kind of like this uh, this this rule of thumb, um, you know, that you can only um, uh, remember seven things at the same time. So perhaps that could be kind of like a guiding principle as well, where you say it should not be more than seven because for most people, it's impossible to uh, remember more or memorize more than, uh, than seven things in a list like this. Well, that's great. That's very helpful. Yeah, yeah any questions that somebody has as we go, Jorgen will be coming in and, and helping us with the Facebook group, which is the Baker Street Irregulars group. All right. Well, is there anything that you want to say in closing, Jorgen? Uh, no, other than that, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to reading those design questions and seeing how kind of like the grouping will work. Yeah, because, you know, uh, like we said from the top of this call, it's an experiment as well uh, to some extent. So I'm very curious in how this whole kind of like pans out uh, uh, in this week. Excellent. Well, well, Jorgen, you know, thanks so much for taking time to to come in and join us. And as Jorgen said, if anybody has questions or they need anything, you know, please just post to the Facebook group, and Jorgen will be, uh, you know, will be popping in and helping out um, over the course of uh, this coming week to help transition you guys from appreciative inquiry and design questions into teams and into ideas uh, that we then can start to prototype. Thanks, Jorgen. I appreciate it. And so uh, before we bring on Tommy, who's going to be calling in momentarily, something interesting to kind of make note of, we're going to be taking a bunch of the uh, inputs that you guys have within the five times why, the appreciative inquiry, 
the design questions and a number of other things. We're going to be running them through Watson. And so we'll be explaining that as we go forward, but we're going to do kind of a, we're going to use Watson to boil down some of the insights from the group. And then we're going to combine that with like human insight. So it'll be machine learning and human insight kind of colliding. And so we're excited to see what that yields. But one of the ways that we're going to do that is we're going to use it as a way to extract some of the characteristics that will be clustered under those design principles that we have for the project, which are the trace, granting agency, uh, thematic frame, social movement slash serendipity management. So we'll be sharing more of that. And, and for those who are interested, week two had a playlist that went into cognitive APIs and went into things that covered Watson and Bluemix. And we in New York, meaning Nick and myself, the prototype that we're developing, the red rotary phone, is something that's making use of both Bluemix and the Watson APIs, in addition to you know some of the hardware, which happens to be Raspberry Pi based. And we'll be sharing more of the details of what we're doing there. And if you get a chance, we uh, I wrote a piece about it, which was called Story Thinking. You know, it's kind of about this idea of what we can learn about emerging technologies from Sherlock Holmes. So that gives you a sense of where we've been in week two and where we're headed into week three. Hello. Oh, hey, Tommy. Excellent. That was perfect timing. Can you hear yeah. me? Yes. Yes, I can hear you. And, and thank you, Tommy, uh, for taking the time to talk today to give us some time on a Sunday. I know that you just got back into the country. My pleasure. So, Tommy, I thought maybe what we could do over the course of this conversation is talk a bit about your your background and some of the stuff that you've been working on. And then we're going to just have a very casual conversation about, you know, creative uses of AI or how you're thinking about artificial intelligence just from a creative mm -hmm. perspective. But I think it's important in order to get to that, to have some context into the work that you've done, because I think, you know, we've had the opportunity to know each other for quite some time. And, um, right. you know, I know that kind of trajectory uh, in your own, you know, your work to give context to what we're going to talk about in terms of the AI, AI part. So would you mind just uh, kind of giving a little background? I'll try. Um, you might be a better judge to, to sort of fill in because I haven't really thought that consciously about, you know, the trajectory, except for the fact that technology um, and storytelling, and especially with filmmaking, I feel sort of inherently, um, it, it's a craft that uses technology as a tool. And um, I was always very comfortable with technology and excited about basically exploring new ways to tell stories. And um, I've been doing that for almost 20 years now. And um, I'm probably most, um, probably the highest profile projects I've done have been, um, I produced A Scanner Darkly and Waking Life uh, that Richard Linklater directed and they were animated and I co-developed the technique to do the animation. So it's basically a digital rotoscoping process where you film people and then you bring that footage into the computer and you draw over it. Um, and since then I've moved into transmedia, um, I'm interested in sort of all genres and platforms, uh, interactive storytelling. And currently I'm in pre-production to do a documentary on artificial intelligence and really sort of what it means to be human in the age of intelligent machines. And so if I could take one step back for a second to, to kind of talk about those 
two interactive storytelling docs that you did in conjunction with Submarine, um, yep. both Collapsus and The Last Hijack, which are kind of a nice, like if I look at them, I see uh, an evolution of the rotoscoping technique that you're talking about and an exploration into this idea of interactivity or experiment, you know, yeah. experimenting with interactivity. Can you, can you talk about that? Well, I mean, I think now when we look, when we think about storytelling and, and technology, it's really, I mean, when I, when I first started getting into film, I would look at movies from the sixties and seventies and experimental cinema. And it was people really sort of pushing the boundaries of, of what a film is or can be. I feel like now all that work in sort of visual storytelling medium, like film is really been taking place in transmedia and VR and AR and, and apps and games even. Um, and so the uh, collapses, which, which you had a very uh, strong hand in as well, was really a project that was initiated by Submarine, a production company in the Netherlands. And they wanted to basically combine animation, documentary, uh, fiction, live action. You know, basically they just wanted to, to take everything and throw it in a blender. And um, that sounded like a fun challenge. And it was what, 2010? And at that time, I kind of knew that it would fail on, on one you know, level, but it was such a new platform and emerging you know, um, way to tell a story that I think at that point, it's, that's when you can really take chances. And failures um, are measured by the successes that you have within that as well. Like you basically have to take a risk and find out what works and what doesn't work when you're dealing with sort of a new platform. And, um, and so that was really great. And then last hijack were a lot of the things that I learned about UI and UX from collapses and really kind of understanding that to be a storytelling teller. Now you have to do with the technology, but also that how people are interacting with that story in terms of user interface and experience um, is just like another so sort of uh, craft that, that I had to learn again. So I really tried to kind of push the um, the interface with Last Hijack. And again, we combined documentary with um, animation and it was all completely interactive. What, what were some of those key takeaways, you know, between Collapsus into The Last Hijack? Some things that were like key insights for me, for you, or you were like, oh God, never again. Or, you know, what, what were some of those takeaways? You mean in, in terms of uh, UI and UX or in um, storytelling or just in general? Or I, I think like uh, the UI, UX and also the storytelling, like the interactivity mm -hmm. side, you know, interested in that. I think, I mean, it's, it, sounds, it sounds silly, but it's, it's a reason why if you're talking to anybody who's making a website or a video game, they're going to talk about the same thing that it needs to be very clear and intuitive. Um, you want it to be seamless and you don't want it to distract from the experience of telling the story. And this, the entire like lean, lean back storytelling and lean forward storytelling um, when you're interacting with it and then when you're not interacting with it, it's still, I think, um, a combination that's hard to really get correct. You know, like either you, I feel like when you're, playing a game, it's a Twitch game, it's completely interact interactive. You understand that when you're watching a television show on 
Netflix, you understand that you're just sort of being told a story. Um, and so I think that really, I think with every project, it'll, it'll really be about trying to find what that combination is in terms of interactivity and storytelling and whether or not it's um, a lean back or lean forward type experience. And were, when you went into uh, the last hijack, uh, was, can you give an example of one thing where you kind of evolved it from Collapsus, like one element, just as an example? Well, Collapsus was truly um, a transmedia project that was an afterthought to a traditional documentary. Um, and so the biggest difference between those two projects was that Last Hijack was always initially conceived as a transmedia um, story that was being made um, at the same time by the same people who were making the documentary. So that's very different in terms of approach and, and how you can really um, utilize the different key aspects of, of of telling stories. And one way, a very simple example is um, when you make a featured documentary, you're pretty much going to be following a standard format, three-act structure, 90-minute uh, running time. And when you're in the editing room, you find yourself making a lot of choices and cutting a lot of stories, and you have to really focus on what that, what that movie is about. Um, the great thing about the transmedia thing is that I always knew that the film portion of it would be a more personal experience. It's really about um, a, a man who wants, who's, who's telling his family that he's going to quit piracy. It's about his father and his mother telling him to quit. He's about to get married. Um, he's getting pressure from everybody to quit, but there's a sort of hypocrisy because everybody also wants money from him at the same time because he's having a wedding. So it, it's a very personal and intimate story. But around that, there's this incredibly large and complex um, you know, geopolitical and, and globalist um, machinations about the shipping industry and really why piracy, um, you know, happened in the history of piracy and, and the sort of uh, different, you know, variables that come about in order to create uh, this situation. And you kind of have to make a choice at some point. I couldn't make a movie that has a personal story and sort of the larger uh, story. I'll call it the micro and the macro. So with the film, I think when people come home and they want to turn on Netflix or something, they want to watch a story that they can really relate to on very human terms. Um, I think that when you go to a movie, you know, obviously you're going to a big event um, and you want to see things blow up, for instance. Um, and I think that the exciting thing about uh, the interactive portion of what we're doing is that you really have some form of agency over the vast amounts of data that you have. And you can actually make um, sort of diving into um, a lot of this information um, engaging and playful um, as well as informative. And then you can really sort of decide, well, I want to know more about this or that. So in that sense, I think that you have to really, the, the best case scenario is just conceiving of it right from the beginning. Um, and if you're going to be doing it, you know, with the film, then you can, you can kind of really um, be resourceful in terms of where you're putting your story. And I think they both, that there's a relationship with both. I mean, I think that if people don't hear about the movie, they can go to the website, they might get interested in the website, then they'll decide to see the film. 
people might go see the film and then they get interested in, you know, well, really what really caused this to happen, they can always go to the website. So. And so with that, um, with, uh, in the case of Collapsus and uh, The Last Hijack, you have films that are also working within this, within the ecosystem or these interactive sites that are built um, that people are able to interact with. As you take kind of a step forward and you're kind of almost uh, kind of moving into this, um, you're moving into this space of, uh, it's almost like ubiquitous computing, right? So you're, you're moving away from uh, a set, you know, screen per se, you know, like this idea of an interactive site or uh, a television screen or a movie screen and into the space of where you're, you're, you're kind of exploring this notion of AI and, you know, how it's inner workings with humanity and what does that mean kind of moving forward. And it feels like an interesting kind of transition when you look at it from the outside. Can you talk to that? Like what drew you to AI and where, where, what you're experimenting with and what you're trying to, you know, what's that creative itch that you're scratching with it? Well, I guess, I mean, I have a complicated relationship with technology. It's something that comes very easy to me, but it's something that makes me um, feel somewhat leery. And I think especially with the birth of uh, my child, who's, you know, now going to school and watching how, um, you know, that basically how children relate to technology, I really feel it's a double-edged sword. I mean, you know, we can't really argue that technology hasn't enhanced our lives in, in many ways, but I also kind of feel like it's taken away some some aspects as well. And um, I think that my interest in this film really came from noticing that probably in the next 20 years, our entire ideas about employment are going to change um, drastically. So what I'm going to do in the basically the first act of the film is really look at blue collar jobs um, and look at like things like auto workers or Uber drivers and, and kind of show how um, AI and robots are going to radically change that. And then I'm going to look at white collar uh, jobs, you know, lawyers, doctors, hedge fund managers, things like that. And um, I think that a lot of those people are going to be surprised at how much of their work is going to be automated. And I think that main, the main thing is really a hubris that we have. Um, in that we think that we're special snowflakes and that a computer or AI can never really duplicate um, what what we do. So um, I'm out to challenge that notion, and I'm going to see how much I can. Um, in, in an ideal scenario, I will give the movie over to the AI and the robot, and they'll finish the movie. I'll start it. They'll finish it. Um, but I think it's really about asking, are we making ourselves obsolete? And I'm curious why we're, we're accepting technology um, so enthusiastically and spending so much money on it, yet at the same time, it, as a species, we're not threatened by anything or anyone else um, except for you know, a new, possibly sentient um, species that we are um, creating. So it reminds me of Frankenstein and, and uh, you know, the lessons of the Luddites from over 200 years ago. And so I'm kind of curious um, why why we're doing this and what the effects are going to be and sort of create a dialogue, but at the same time, 
my interest is such that um, I don't want to run away from it. I actually want to see if if it can be creative. And and if it can, then I feel like being able to be a part of that and, and teach um, the AI how to tell stories about humans and um, will be important. And it'll be something that if it, if it does become sentient, then it will somehow maybe affect our future as well. Can you, can you talk about that part in terms of like this idea of teaching an AI, you know, the, the, that notion of story and AI and yeah. the teaching? Well, I think in terms of an intelligent machine, I mean, I'll, I'll use the, the term intelligent machine to sort of get rid of the whole robot slash AI um, uh, thing. But we're, 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 when we talk about um, singularity, you know, I think what the easiest way I, I'll describe it to people is it's that point when programs will be writing programs and robots will be manufacturing robots and assembling themselves. Basically, humans will be cut out of the loop. When that happens, because of their ability to um, kind of work much more than we can, you know, I mean, you can, a computer can stay on 24 hours a day and, and write programs. You know, robots can, they don't have to go to sleep or take breaks. They can just continue to make more robots. Um, I think at that point, things are going to start getting a little strange. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm honestly sorry. So what was, what was the question again? Oh, the question was really kind of about that notion of teaching. And, and this oh, is yeah, all teaching. related. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I, so the, the thing about that we're talking is autonomy. Basically, when things are able to make decisions on their own. And the, the way that I can best describe that is that um, you don't just turn on a switch and, and let a computer program decide what to do. You, you set in um, rules, you give it guidance, and, um, and you do the best to sort of really explain why it's doing what it's doing. But anybody who has a child knows that you can spend all day long telling your kid to do, you know, one thing and they can go to school and they learn that. But, the, but at the end of that day, that child's going to make up their own mind um, no matter what. You hope that they'll listen to you and they'll do what you want them to. But at the end of the day, they have autonomy as well. Um, and so that's kind of what we're going to be looking at in our future is sort of a ubiquitous um, you know, computing with AI basically infused in everything and, and robots interconnected um, in a Wi-Fi cloud with no real grand plan or um, uh, long-term view. It's basically, you know, groups of people working in isolation um, on a short-term goal and, and what's going to happen in the future is that all that work is going to come together in the cloud and nobody really has any idea what's going to happen at that point. So within, within the doc, you're kind of examining these issues. Um, and you said there that you, you thought you would start, you know, you hope that in some way you can start to film and then maybe the AI or, or the, the, the machine will kind of finish it. Can you talk about what yeah. you mean by that? Well, I'm going to be creating a, uh, uh, autonomous camera robot 
And so um, basically a big part of the film is going to be us teaching uh, the camera bot um, how to shoot a movie and how to shoot a interview. And the way that we're going to do that through the bulk of the time is you, you input a bunch of um, movies, you know, from before you, you, you load in algorithms that uses machine learning and it can kind of understand the difference between long shot and medium shot and close up and things like that. But then I also am going to have our director of photography work um, with the robot and they'll have to collaborate because I think that collaborating right now between um, an intelligent machine and a human is actually um, the most potent combination that we have right now. I mean, I think humans, you know, without any sort of system of checks and balances are prone to error, just like um, AI now is also um, not errorless. And so, you know, the idea that humans and, and um, computers working together is a very powerful one. And the one that I hope um, will be the, the idea that really sort of wins out in the end, more so than just turning a switch on, letting the computers do everything for us. So then there'd be a balance between you and the machine. So you would start, you would start the film, you would train the machine to be able to, uh, to continue uh, the making mm -hmm. of the film. But what you're really talking about is a collaboration between you and the AI. Yeah, and I think that that's really where my hope is uh, in terms of that, that basically we're, we're entering into a relationship and if we're creating, you know, this AI and it's, you know, man's creation, then obviously you can look at man and there's a lot of horrible things that man does as well. Um, and the idea, I think the interesting part of technology is when it actually um, can enhance our lives and bring us closer together and make us more human. Um, there's a really great example of a, of a man who lost uh, two arms in an accident and um, they put him you know, into a, a suit and he can control uh, his two arms using, you know, his, through a direct uh, mind interface and he has arms again. And in this interview, I saw him and he said, you know, he feels more human in that moment that he gets to wear, you know, this sort of uh, robot suit in a, in a way. And I think that that's very optimistic. I think that that's really the thing that technology that you really want to do is really, you know, help people become more of what they are already, you know, to really connect people. It's that this is really the, it doesn't really matter if you're telling a story, you know, around a, a fire in a cave and you're, you're, teaching people um, about values and you're entertaining them um, and you're communicating with them and you're touching them in some way, you know, that, that's, what's, that's why we make movies. That's why we tell stories because we want to really connect and touch people probably in the way that, that, that I was when I was a kid and I read a great book and it just made me feel less alone in the world. And um, so I think really everything, if you just remember who we are, if we remember that this is about being human and if we start to examine what that really is, then I think that we can, we need to share that with AI and robotics. And in that, 
And if we're successful in that, then we can actually cohabitate and we can make a better world. If we don't, if it's just to fight wars or if it's just to make money, then I, then I fear what, what, will the, what the outcome will be. And I don't think it will be good. So for anybody that wants to know more about artificial intelligence, especially from a creative standpoint or thinking about it from a storytelling standpoint, uh, any recommendations on what you think they should check out? That's a good question. Um, you can follow my Twitter feed. It's at uncanny, U-N-C-A-N-I. And I'm putting okay. a lot of stuff there. I, I think that um, probably I'll create an account and a site, but I mean, there's no real, I mean, I, I, the good, every single day, if I'm just reading the newspaper, there's great articles about AI and robots. I mean, it's just really a part of our zeitgeist right now. And I think even more so in the next year, we're going to be getting a lot more into it, especially in terms of uh, creativity. Um, I think that you guys have probably seen the short film uh, that an AI wrote and it was pretty good. And then there was a, uh, a trailer that the AI edited that came out um, you know, a couple of days ago. But I don't know a great central source. If anybody knows one, let me know. And any books, any books that you would recommend on the topic? Yeah, I mean, Nick Bostrom's um, Super Intelligence is really good. Um, there's another book called The Most Human Human, What Artificial Intelligence Teaches Us About Being Alive by Brian Christian. Um, Our Final Invention by a guy named James Barrett. It's called uh, The subtitle is Artificial Intelligence and the End of the Human Era. But it's pretty good because this one really kind of goes into um, movies and uh, the influence of uh, um, basically books and film um, on on real AI and robotics and, and how that relationship works. Um, another book I just got called Alone Together. I haven't read yet, um, but it looks interesting because it, it asks why we expect more from technology and less from each other, and it's written by Sherry Turkle. Um, I'm about to read a book called Rebels Against the Future by Kirkpatrick Sale. And it's about the uh, Luddites that I mentioned and their war against the Industrial Revolution. And I keep on thinking that that's something I really need to know a lot more about. And so, okay. Uh, and so with that, uh, thank you for the recommendations on those books. And maybe if you don't mind, Tommy, you can just drop me uh, an, an email with those and I'll put links into it so people can find them easily. And then uh, to follow you, it is U-N-C-A-N-I, Uncanny. That's uh, on Twitter, U-N-C-A-N-I. Um, and Tommy, I want to thank you for taking the time to talk to us today um, and to share you you. Know, your, your insights on you know, the mix of story and code. And, and uh, you know, we appreciate it. And uh, thanks for taking the time after coming back from Europe and Iceland. Thank, thank you. And, and, I, and I have one more book, Mary Shelley's um, Frankenstein. 
Oh, that's a good one. That's a good one to end with. Um, well, well, thanks, Tommy. And uh, yeah. I'll circle back with you and uh, follow up. I'm going to be out in Los Angeles, so I'll let you know when I'm going to be there. Um, cool. And would love love to connect. Um, and thanks so yeah. much for for taking the time today. Really appreciate it. Okay. Every, everybody's thanking you in the chat that we can see. So thank you, Tommy. Yeah, yeah, and 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 you can reach me through uh, Twitter too. So if anybody has any questions, they can do that as well. Okay. Thanks so much, right. man. I appreciate it. Okay. Thank you. Talk soon. Bye. Bye. Um, so that was Tommy Pilata, who stopped by just to kind of give us a little talk about some of the challenges that he faces with um, interactivity uh, and storytelling. And also, I think there's a really interesting trajectory for him, you know, where he started with rotoscoping and, and kind of building and uh, innovating in terms of the stories that he wanted to tell and, and where he's headed right now with using artificial intelligence in a creative way. Um, in a way that's very infused with uh, humanity. Um, so uh, special thanks to, to Tommy for joining us today. So as we close out um, today's call or today's uh, convo, I uh, just wanted to kind of close with just uh, a recap really quickly about where we're headed uh, this particular week. So uh, this week is all about, uh, you know, you know, as you finish the appreciative inquiry, as you finish shaping design questions as an individual, you're then going to look at the design questions from everyone else and find two to three that you're really interested in, uh, in some way, either they're different than yours, or there's something that ignites your imagination, or they feel like they could build off of your idea, or your design question, and you're going to use those design questions as a way to find your team. Once you find a team of, you know, so there's a total of three or four of you, and you, you take the time to shape a single design question, you kind of mash up your design questions, or you go in a different direction, or you pivot, or you have a discussion, and you figure out what you want to do, you'll shape a design question that starts with how could we, that design question that you shape uh, will uh, then be your admittance or your, your kind of your entry to a very special prototyping platform that we have access to. The prototyping platform will allow you to come in and create your 100 ideas as a team, will allow you to uh, feed back on those ideas, and will move you into a space that we can use to prototype and test. And the way that you will gain access is with that design question. Um, so in addition to that, we'll be coming back and doing some work where we'll take some of the conversations and the things that have been happening in the Facebook group, uh, the Baker Street Irregulars, and we'll bring them into Watson and we'll run them through Watson and come out with some uh, insight from the AI. And then we'll have a discussion and kind of compare that with our own human insights and what we think the difference is there. So that's what we have planned for this week. The goal by the end of the week is to for you guys to start having ideas on this new prototyping platform that we're going to touch into. And then from there, you know, from week uh, four, five, six, and beyond is where we get into uh, iterating on those ideas, uh, creating prototypes around those ideas. And a big difference this time is we will encourage you guys to do kind of design documents around what you're making so they could be passed off or shared with others. But we also really want to see you prototyping. We want to see you testing, whether that's 
paper testing something, whether that's you know rolling up your sleeves and coding something, whatever path you take, you're going to be prototyping and kind of documenting that and sharing it back uh, to your fellow collaborators within the MOOC. At this point, I'll ask if anybody has any questions before we go. Um, yeah, I did have a question for you, Lance. Um, it's it's not related to um, any problems I'm having, but I was wondering um, if you could talk a little bit about the event that's going on Saturday in sure. uh, New York. Sure. On Saturday, September 10th at the Made in New York Media Center, uh, we are doing a, a hack, uh, a Sherlock hack. and That Sherlock hack is focused on the prototype that Nick and I, Nick is a fellow instructor in the MOOC, and what we're doing is we're opening up our, you know, like we're kind of going through this too. We have like a design question, we're tapping the the design principles, and we've been working and collaboratively building a project uh, that will uh, take place during the New York Film Festival at Lincoln Center. So what we're doing on Saturday is we are experimenting with uh, the Bluemix platform, uh, making use of Watson APIs. Specifically, we are working to connect the Raspberry Pi unit that we have that happens to sit in a, in a rotary phone uh, to Watson. And we're working through some of the UX experience that we have. Uh, we're working through some of the logistics of what it's going to take to turn Lincoln Center into a massive connected crime scene. And we're going to have some folks uh, specifically hunkering down around some of those Watson APIs. So um, we have a number of hacks planned. This is the last probably full day hack. Um, but the goal is anybody is, is welcome to come in and take part. Uh, our objective is to create a enchanted object, which happens to be a rotary phone that's cloud-enabled, connected to the cloud, and it is working to allow uh, people to experiment with their own creativity. So it's used in a way that's creating prompts that helps people to uh, shape their own stories. So that's what we're going to be doing on Saturday, uh, September 10th. Anybody is welcome to join us who happens to be in the, you know, the tri-state area. Uh, so if you want to come and join us, Michael, you're more than welcome. Awesome. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, does anybody else have any other questions? Uh, oh, uh, we have a question here. Will teams still be creating maps, et cetera, for Lincoln Center? It's going to be uh, a bit different uh, this time, um, uh, whereas we're forking the project. So if people want to be involved in some way or mirror what we're doing at Lincoln Center, they're more than welcome to. But we're also hoping that what happens this time is that we, uh, which kind of is where we netted out last time, uh, where there were people that were developing educational programs or trying some stuff that involves social impact or designing games or entertainment experiences or escape the rooms or whatever it is, or card games. So um, we will be doing some uh, kind of data mapping stuff, but it'll be more towards more of an open kind of approach as opposed to focusing it solely on Lincoln Center this time. We've always mentioned that there's an element of this that's kind of almost like a fuzzy collaborative space. And we've, we've told people that it's really important to be able to embrace ambiguity. And and with the, the MOOC itself, you know, that, that idea to decentralize it creates a lot of interesting opportunities and challenges. And when you're trying to build some type of a dynamic learning space 
one of the things that we're really trying to experiment with this time is how can we leave it open to allow people to kind of come in as they hear about it or to be able to drop in and out. We're very interested in this notion of kind of burst collaboration. You know, it, it people's time is very challenged. You know, there's a lot of things that people are doing on, on a daily basis. There's a lot of things competing for people's time. So how can we build a collaborative project um, and a framework for collaboration that allows for that to happen? Uh, and one of the things that we're really trying to experiment with this time is that idea that there's a flexibility around the deadlines and there's an ability to kind of roll in and come and be a part of the project. Because what happened last time is a lot of things, as I've mentioned before, uh, came after the MOOC ended and people continued to work together and continued to shape really amazing projects um, as, as, as they, as long after the MOOC ended, which is wonderful. So we want to try to help set that stage. So a lot of what Jorgen was talking about at the top and some of the stuff that we're trying to do is build a strong collaborative space for that. And what's the framework that's needed for collaboration when you have people who are coming from all over the world? And how can you help to kind of create a framework that allows that to thrive? And so a big test for us is this decentralized part of the MOOC, this idea of how we can curate learning content, how we can try to bring people together in a rather quick fashion. You know, six weeks is fast. And to get people hopefully into the headspace turning them on to maybe some new people that they can collaborate with and trying to make it meaningful is challenging enough, let alone trying to get people to a point of where they can actually uh, be able to ideate and take an idea to some form of a prototype to be able to test it is a, is a very ambitious goal. And so um, I think it's okay for whoever happens to be behind or is coming in at different times because that's all part of the experiment. Um, and we'll be releasing probably after week four uh, releasing some some data around it, you know, like how how the project's been going, what we've been noticing, and how that compares to last time. So we're going to try to try to share that uh, as as we go too. Um, so with all of that, I want to thank you guys uh, for taking the time uh, today to join us. Uh, we recorded this conversation, so others in the MOOC will be able to hear it. And um, if you have any questions or you need anything, the Baker Street Irregulars Facebook group. Is the best place to go. Uh, we release uh, weekly emails via MailChimp. If you happen to be on Gmail, and I say this because over 60 odd percent of the people who are in the MOOC happen to have a Gmail address. So if you have that and you're interested in receiving it through email, uh, make sure to check your promotions folder. If you don't see it, we usually deliver it on a Tuesday afternoon Eastern Standard Time. If you don't see it, check your uh, promotions folder and uh, make sure to add the MOOC uh, to your contacts. You can also find uh, archives of the week's uh, lectures, media, challenges uh, within the Facebook group or at uh, SherlockHolmes.io.